0: All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Thus says God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that, that even your word tells us of itself, that it is living and active, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. But God, the Bible tells us that your word does not return to you void, but it accomplishes the purposes that you send it out for. And so, God, we thank you for that. God, we pray that if we are, um, God, if we're in any way apathetic, slumbering, god drunk in the in the cares of this life lord we pray that your word would awaken us today lord that we would hear it that you would rouse us from our sleep and that we would follow you with obedient and repentant hearts lord god god i pray that you would come and be near me today that you would guard over my mouth and every word every every thought of my heart and mind lord that what i speak would be accurate according to the intent and the message of your eternal word Lord I thank you for this opportunity and I pray that that you would be glorified above all else in both the hearing and the preaching of your word we thank you for all of this in Jesus name amen amen you can have a seat um, I'm so glad you're here this morning um, we are um, we're, as Katie said we're continuing uh, and actually completing a series today kind of a loose series we uh, that I've kind of focused on the generosity of God, so I'm glad you're here for this. Before I get started, I want to say welcome to my um, sister-in-law and brother-in-law, Dwayne and Teresa Spear, who drove up from Odessa today with, to be with Ginger on her birthday, and so we're really glad to have them. They are very precious people to Ginger and I, and so it's always good to be around them and glad to have them here. Um, so as I mentioned, I've talked to you in the last couple of messages about the generosity of God. Sometimes uh, we Think that God's generosity is just the the um, you know what we get for living in a world like we live in, or just for being raised in church or, or coming to church. But God's generosity is is central to His loving nature. Um, the fact that God loves, as indicated by the most famous verse in Scripture, John three sixteen, the God always demonstrates His love by giving. Can somebody say Amen to that? always demonstrates his love by giving we see this as we have kind of gone over and over we see it in creation uh the fact that we have air and food and rain and and all of those wonderful things are the fact that god loves and he gives Uh, we talked about last week how the bible says that he causes the sun to ride rise on the good and the evil and rain to fall on both the just and the unjust god is loving god is giving and, and you can't separate the two but most of all god proves his love, Pastor David reminded us, uh, 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 reminded us of this again this morning, that he proves his love by giving Jesus Christ as the redeeming sacrifice for sin. If you ever want to understand an area of life where you are stricken by abject poverty, it is the in the area of you doing anything to solve your sin problem. You have no capacity to help yourself when it comes to your own sin. But God so loved that once again he gave. And he did not only give a solution, he emptied the vaults of heaven to give the best solution possible for our sin. Then last week I talked about how God often shows his generosity in response to our trusting sacrifice of what we have in our hand, what we have in our house. Even in the story of the boy uh, who Jesus multiplied his lunch, we, what we have in our lunch box. We talked about it uh, looking at the Old Testament passage about the woman with her little jar of oil. But what I wanna do this morning is, is take a little different direction. And I wanna show you how the life of a genuine Christ follower. Now this is really important. Everybody say the word genuine. A genuine Christ follower. And that's so important because you live in a world, you live in a culture where many people, you live in a city like Lubbock, Texas, many people, most people, the vast majority of people claim to be Christ followers. Would you agree with that? And yet evidence, observational evidence, would would see a a huge diversion from the course of of most people's lives and the course of what Jesus has called. So So that's why I'm emphasizing the word genuine. I want to show you how the life of a genuine Christ follower mirrors God in being marked by generosity. It mirrors God by being marked by generosity. In other words, generosity... A life of generosity is inherent. It is, is absolutely uniquely tied to a life of true or genuine belief. And I want to show you this morning by answering two questions, two simple questions. Why and how? I want to show you why um, the, the, that generosity is so important and, and how it relates to our motivation uh you know to a life of generosity. I want to show you how that life of generosity, life of marked by generosity, is executed or pulled off. And the goal of this message isn't for anyone here to feel threatened or condemned. Oh here you he go as preachers love to talk about money. Uh, I want you instead, now listen to me, because I can tell you how sincere I am in this in this intention. I want you to enjoy the freedom that the gospel provides i want you to enjoy the freedom that the gospel has promised you from powerful snares that exist in this world let me tell you something as you walk in your monday through saturday life there are bear traps everywhere you have bear traps uh, david again indicated this morning you have bear traps when you turn on the tv and watch an advertisement and this world is just trying to ensnare you in the stuff you think you need in the relation, the kind of relationships you think you ought to have. And what the gospel does, it calls us to empty our hands, like I talked about last week, so that we can be absolutely free of those kind of snares. And it's a wonderful thing. So let's consider our text today. The text that Zachary read us consists of two of the short parables found in Matthew 13. Now, Matthew 13 is filled with Parables. And, and those parables are called the kingdom parables because they show us the contrast between the kingdom of this world, this bear trap filled world I mentioned, and the kingdom of heaven. You may not understand what a parable is. A parable is simply this. It's a, it's a device, a literary device that Jesus used. They're short stories that make a gigantic point. In fact, one of our, our parables today, one of, one whole story was contained in one scripture, if you didn't notice that. The other one, I think, was two scriptures. they Their short stories make a huge point. And Jesus used them often. And he, what he would do is he would take everyday images that everybody understood, and he would make otherworldly truths clear to his followers. And his disciples wanted to know what the deal was with all the parables one time. Why are you speaking so much in stories? And Jesus gave a very uh, jarring answer to their question. This is what Christ said. And the disciples came to him in Matthew 13, before we read the passage that we read this morning, then his disciples came to him, said to him, why do you speak to them or the people in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been given to know, given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now this is important. Because most of us believe if someone would just tell us something we would understand it if someone just explained something to it it, to us we would understand it and jesus is saying just the opposite he's saying that to understand the kingdom and how it works it must be given to you for the one who has verse 12 for to the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance but to the one who has not even what he has will be taken away This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing this is he's quoting Isaiah here, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So using Isaiah's words, Jesus says he used parables to reveal the deep truths to those who would believe, while at the same time hiding spiritual truths from those who would refuse to submit to Christ through repentance and faith. Let me explain how this works. Not 2,000 years ago, but today. Right now, at this very moment, churches all across America are, are have people uh, preaching the gospel and they're doing it clearly. They're proclaiming the right gospel clearly. But even in the best of churches, only a remnant of people who hear the gospel preached clearly will adjust their life through repentance. Only a small remnant of those people will adjust their life through repentance. Why is this? Simple, Jesus says. They do not really believe. See, the gospel, as we've said a lot around here, is not a a self-help motivational talk. It is the, it is the life-giving good news of Jesus. And so if we don't believe it, there's not going to be an adjustment. Repentance in us proves that we have true belief. So in these two short stories, Jesus shows us important facts about the kingdom, about God's kingdom. He calls it a treasure or a pearl of great price. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is priceless. The ones who find the kingdom, those who, who obtain the kingdom have nothing of their own possession that, that comes close to having as much worth as it does. You have nothing. You may be the smartest, best-looking, richest person in the room, and you have nothing of your own to compare with the value of the kingdom of God. And obtaining this prize necessarily demands the disposing of everything else. The kingdom represents all you could ever desire. And so everything else in our life to truly appreciate the kingdom must be regarded as absolute rubbish. Now it may seem foolish to the people who know you when you get this, when you understand the value of the kingdom of God. People may think you're an absolute fool to give up everything you can to have the kingdom. There's a movie uh, that was made in the 40s, then remade in the 80s. Some of you might have seen, anybody ever seen the movie Brewster's Millions? In Brewster's Millions, here's the plot. Uh, Montgomery Brewster is just a, a guy really down on his luck, and he finds out that a distant uncle has died, and, and, and he goes to this law office, and he finds out that he has inherited $30 million. How many of you think that would make a pretty good Monday for you? So... He inherits $30 million, but there is a catch. His actual inheritance is $300 million. But in order to get the $300 million, he is required in 30 days' time to absolutely spend every penny with no assets of the $30 million in order to get the $300 million. Sound easy? Watch the movie. Not that easy. But here's here's an analogy to the kingdom of God. People look at you placing the kingdom as your highest value and you're liquidating everything. Every desire, every dream, everything that you have, you're giving it away. And they look at you like you're a fool because they don't realize what you are actually obtaining. They don't get it. They don't understand that you're giving away everything, that you you are counting, as Paul said, everything lost so that you may gain Christ. And I'm telling you, if that is the position, if that's the posture of your life, you are not the loser. The people... Jesus tells us who give up everything for the kingdom aren't squandering anything. They are in fact wisely investing. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because here Jesus says, moth and rust destroy. And, they, and, and this is where thieves break in and steal what you have. But he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me tell you something that you will learn someday if you have not already. Earthly treasure of every sort is surely temporary. But heavenly investments, on the other hand, are absolutely 100% secure because they're insured by the grace By the holiness and by the honor of God himself. In these parables that we read, the men sold everything. And they went, the Bible says, in joy and sold it all. Because of the value of the kingdom, the cost to them did not matter. They had no impulse to cling tightly to the comparatively little they once thought they had. They gave it all away. He said, "I found something much, much better." So these parables tell us why the reflex of a Christian uh, of a Christian is generosity. Christ's followers have something so precious that, that, that we found in Him that it's worth the loss of everything else. So we gladly empty our hands. We let go of time. We let go of relationships. We let go of dreams, of rights, of privileges. We let go of money and possessions to have Christ and to have participation in the kingdom of God. And why do we do that? See, Christians empty their hands because of the time that they have because they realize that to have Jesus is to have eternity. So who needs time? To have... Jesus is to have a friend that sticks closer to a bro- than a brother and and one who calls himself the lover of our soul so what so what if it costs me some of my relationships to have Jesus is to have every dream fulfilled every right satisfied or superseded and every privilege granted So why should I continue to chase passing things? See, to have Jesus, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is to be freely given all things, both in this life and also in the life to come. And so we can see him, past all the deceptions of this world, we can see him as the source of all real blessing forever. See, because Jesus is the true treasure hidden in the field. He is the pearl of great price. Men and women daily go enjoy selling everything, clutching nothing else, only to gain him because of his surpassing worth and the belief that transforms us, see, there's two types of belief in this world. There's belief that's all in our head, that we agree to a set of facts, does nothing to transform us on the inside. But the belief that transforms us requires that we, that we view Jesus in this way, as the great treasure of life. Jesus, I've said this at least a thousand times in the last five or six years, Jesus will not be an accessory added to what you already have. Did you hear me? Jesus will not be an accessory to what you already have. We must be fully clothed in Jesus. Otherwise, in the last day, you will be found to be completely naked. With nothing. Completely in poverty. Jesus says this about the the standard of the kingdom of God. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he talks about what he, what he's really talking about here. He gets right to the point. He says, you cannot serve God and money. And this is Jesus's demand. We're the bride of Christ. Now think about that term, the bride of Christ. I, I love my wife. One thing I can tell you about my wife, and all the years I've spent with her is that she will not tolerate divided affections in me. I have never brought my girlfriend to the house to introduce her to, to introduce her to my wife. Never done it. Ginger will not tolerate divided affections any more than you would tolerate them in your spouse. And yet oftentimes we try to to divide our affections and somehow make Jesus okay with the things that we really lust after. Y'all are real quiet. We make Jesus try to be okay with the things that we lust after. And in the worst forms of this, we try to get Jesus to be the mechanism that gets us what we're lusting after. But don't fool yourself. One of the toughest things, I say this all the time, one of the toughest things Jesus ever said in the scriptures, and this is a, if this does not examine you no matter how long you've been serving the Lord how faithfully if this scripture doesn't examine you then something is broken in you Jesus said this the words of Christ himself any one of you who does not renounce all that he has everyone say all that he has any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple Jesus is saying to you, you can't hold Jesus in one hand and the world in the other. You cannot, you are disqualified from being a follower of his if that's the posture you take. Not my words, not my words, Jesus' words. Anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. To divide our affections would be to violate the very definition of faith. And I think this is where we get off sometimes in the church these days. Because we, we think saving grace, saving faith, is some kind of contract we have with God. God, you do a little, I'll do a little, together we'll make a great partnership. But that is not what faith is. Faith is daily, complete, 100% trust and dependence and reliance on the goodness of God for everything. It's where we acknowledge that He alone is the source of any blessing we will ever experience. Trusting in relationships, trusting in our reputation or our status, trusting in our intellect, trusting in our wealth, trusting in our possessions, trusting in our health, trusting in our superior morality is the antithesis of saving faith. Faith says this. It says, who have I in heaven but you? And here's the second part. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart might fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know what that means? My portion, God, is the the peace I get. Let me tell you something. If you got God... You don't need anything else. Faith clings to Christ Jesus alone. It doesn't cling to some created or acquired safety net. It says, Jesus is my safety net. Generosity is the expression of the confidence that we have that Jesus is enough And the confidence that we have that that we can trust Him to provide everything we need to live happy. Now, don't shake your head, don't nod your head, don't don't raise your hand, don't do anything. But I want you to ask yourself, looking at your life, looking at your desires, looking at the things that you're chasing right now, does faith prompt generosity to express that Jesus is enough for you? You. If you quickly answer yes, ask your spouse. Does faith prompt generosity for you to express that you can trust Jesus to provide everything you need to make you happy in Christ? One of the things that I find amazing is that Jesus told us to pray to him in his instruction on how to pray. said, so pray to him and ask him for daily bread. Now think about that. Think about that. Raise your hand. This I will have you make a response to. Raise your hand if you ate within the last 24 hours. Raise your hand. Come on, get them up. Don't play along with me. Raise your hand. So I want you to see this. Jesus said to pray for daily bread. Do you realize that the bread you had in the last 24 hours is a sign of God's promise that you're going to have bread in the next 24 hours? Do you see that? God promises to provide for your needs daily. He says to ask him daily. And if he was provided yesterday, let me tell you something, he is infinitely strong enough to provide for today. The bread we receive today is the Father's gracious promise he'll provide for us tomorrow. And what I want you to understand is people are so misaligned in their faith. They get so scared about provisions. But I want you to to really consider something you may never have considered. If you struggle to trust Jesus to provide for your food, for your emotional needs, for your money to pay your bills, how are you ever going to trust Him to forgive your vast sins? If you can't trust Him for simple stuff like a sandwich... How will you trust Him with your sins? How on earth are you going to come to the day of your death preparing to cross the spiritual Jordan and ever trust Him to get you to the other side? You can't even trust Him to take care of you day to day in this life. How will you do it? One seems a lot more intense than the other one. I've gone a day without eating i can do that i can't go without jesus forgiving my sins i will not make it into heaven unless jesus carries me over in the day of my death so how will you trust him for one and not trust him for the other how can a true christian a genuine christian hoard their stuff or live like a miser See, real faith enables us to freely give our resources if we understand that in Christ Jesus we have everything we ever need, even if we have nothing else, because He's our portion, and that we're promised He'll provide for our daily needs according to His riches in glory. See, it's what, what giving—I what, mean, believing does—is it, it really believing? It frees us to give. Because we understand Jesus is the source. This is what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 9, these famous words. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap how? And whoever sows bountifully will also reap how? Now this isn't some, some scheme, some mechanism here. He says, each one must give as must give he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. It's hard for uh, many of us to give cheerfully because fear causes us to give sparingly, to hold on to things tightly, and it separates us from any real faith if we give it all. Faith, however, enables us to give generously, to give cheerfully. And I love this word in the Greek. That word cheerfully literally means hilariously. Can you imagine when you give your offering being doubled over in laughter and joy and looking like an absolute fool because of the absolute joy of giving? But that's what the word means. It's the Greek word hilaros. It means hilarious. It means this is the funnest thing I've ever done in my life. You're a kid on a, on a roller coaster, whatever you're doing. You're in, in immersed in joy by giving to the Lord. Is that because we want to be separated from our stuff? No. It's because we're focusing on the real portion. That's what brings the joy in giving. And this applies to our money, certainly. But what I don't want you to miss, in a message that's primarily, I'll admit it, about your money, I I want you to understand that this also applies to everything else we think is ours. It applies to our time, our energy, our trust, our compassion, and yes, our money and possessions. God loves it when we hilariously give. Why? 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 Because that's exactly how God gives to us. God gives to us cheerfully. God isn't there with a ledger keeping track to make sure that you don't get too much. God loves to give. He's not keeping records. He never gives in fear. He always just gives to us lovingly and boldly. He just bestows his gifts on us. So He loves it. When he looks at us and he sees reflection in us of how he gives, reluctance to give. Listen to me carefully. We have all range of givers in the, in, in in this church, in this room right now. We have people that give, uh, you know. Just constantly faithfully and such a blessing to everyone around you. And there's some people that struggle to give the smallest uh, bit of your resources to God. And if we have that reluctance to give, it should be a major concern for us. Because what it does is the diagnosis It shows us that we're walking in fear, not faith. It's a fear that God won't provide what we need. If I give God what I have in my pocket... Then I won't have what I need. You're missing, you're misunderstanding what you need doesn't come from your pocket. It comes from your father. We might have a fear that we're not safe in, in God's care. And for this very reason, because he knew it was such a, a huge issue with us, it may surprise you to know, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, that Jesus talked about money a lot. I mean a lot. It's probably one of the prime subjects he talked about. Not because he had his hand in everybody's pocket, but because he understood. Jesus understood that what an, what an idol, what a trap our money can be to us. And so he, he, sometimes he spoke on the side of warning. He said this, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness. For life, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's such a deception to think that I am what I have. Did you hear me? It's a deception to think that you are what you have. And the problem is we, you and I live in a culture where the TV, the, the uh, you know billboards, whatever form of advertising tell you all the time that you are what you have. And you're not what you don't yet have and this is a lie this is a lie because we read it a couple weeks ago Peter says that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness I am not who I am because of what I have or don't have I am what I am because of what he has made me but Jesus didn't also talk in terms of warning. He also gave us promises, beautiful promises. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Promise from the lips of Jesus himself. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. You may not understand those words. What he's saying is as much goodness as he can pack into any any you know capacity is what you're going to receive when you give in faith to God. For so the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Those who sow sparingly, reap Those who sow bountifully, reap This teaching about money and things wasn't just talked about by Jesus. It was echoed by the other New Testament apostles. The writer of Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have for he has said, listen, he's not saying just to not do that. Like some moral law, don't, don't, I mean, be content, don't love money. He says that this is rooted in a promise. He says, be content with what you have for he has said, God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. If God is with me, it's like the story when Jesus was in the boat and the storm hit and his disciples are freaking out. Well, let me tell you what the disciples missed in that story. If God is in the boat, the boat ain't sinking. And here's what I want you to know. You don't have to cling to money. You don't have to not be content with what you have because if God is with you, you are not sinking. Paul wrote to his protege Timothy as for the rich in this present age, charge, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that, which is truly life. Let me break that down for you. He talks about the rich in this life. If you are here, if you're an American, if you didn't come up here this morning from Haiti or Guatemala, you are rich. Now that may shock you because you might talk about your poverty all the time, but the fact of the matter is the the poorest in America are are, uh, uh, by and large richer than most of the people in the rest of the world. Can we all agree on that? So let's just assume that all of us who have... Homes and jobs and clothes to wear and food to eat are the rich. And riches, Paul says in this passage, can make us proud. Right? Right? But that's a problem because he also says that those riches are uncertain. Stock market crashes. Your job goes away. Riches go away real fast. Your house burned down. You name it. So Paul says, instead of hoping in riches, we should hope in God who gives us once again everything to enjoy. Now listen to those words. God gives us everything, so there's no lack, and he gives it to us to enjoy, not to just endure, not to just survive. God wants you to enjoy life, and he can provide everything you need to enjoy it. And he goes on to say that we who have been blessed, we're all the rich, we've all agreed on that. That we who are rich must be generous, must be ready to share. And in so doing, Paul tells us we will gain, just like Jesus did earlier, that we will gain imperishable treasure in heaven and experience right now, right in this life, not some sweet by and by, but right in this life, we will experience true life in the truest sense. Sometimes when somebody hits the jackpot, wins the lottery, gets their dream job, whatever, you often hear him say, this is the life. That is a lie. Why would you want to call the life something that fades and passes and is so transient, so fleeting? But Jesus says, or Paul, through Paul, he says that That when we live this life of generosity, we are able to take hold of, to put our hands on that which is truly life. So what do you want? You want something risky or you want something absolutely guaranteed? So we've discovered many reasons this morning why we should give. I want to close by giving you some biblical counsel on how we should give in three final points. So first... We have to give, people trusting God, with the understanding that you and I, listen carefully, because you've all, and myself included, been deceived on this point. We have to give with the understanding that we are the owners of nothing. Do you hear me? Absolutely true if you're a believer. You own nothing. The Bible says that you are just stewards, or or a better word that we might understand more is managers of everything we have. Because it's God's, it's not ours. We own nothing. We don't even own the breath in our lungs. The Bible says that we have those as God gives them to us. (laughs) We're stewards, we're managers. And what you got to understand is if you own nothing and you're just a manager of something that belongs to someone else, you will give an accounting to God one day for every minute, for every relationship, and for every single penny you've been given. This is a great time to mention that a lot of times we we are starting our, our membership classes next week, our covenant partner classes. And one thing that often comes up here when people are looking at Northridge life and want to come here is the question of tithing and our teaching on tithing. And and people are generally in one or two categories, they're either shocked or they're offended when I tell them that we do not teach tithing here. When we receive offerings, special offerings and things, you'll never hear us use the word tithing. And they'll say to us when when that comes up, and I'm so blunt about telling people we don't teach tithing, they'll say, well, haven't you ever read Malachi. I assure you, I have. I've read. I've read the whole Bible, and I've read Malachi. Or, or they'll say on the other end, they'll say, "Well, how do you expect to pay the bills if you don't teach tithing?" But what, what you understand about tithing is that tithing is an old covenant principle. It was a principle given to the Jews, and they would give ten percent. Uh, that God instituted this this uh, you know uh, giving of ten percent to fund the work of the temple. That tithe. That 10% was more of a tax than a gift. And failure to comply with tithing, if you look at the book of Malachi, involves a curse. He says in the book of Malachi, you are cursed with a curse because you've been unfaithful in tithing. Boy, I want you to see, here's where I have a problem with tithing. The Bible says in Galatians that Jesus became a curse for us who believe so that we wouldn't be under any curse so what do you do with verses about tithing do you guys remember when jesus was at, was preaching about anger and lust and he would say what the old testament said and then he would say but i say to you do you remember that and he would he would uh, actually increase the law. And, and, and there was another time and when uh, Jesus was asked what the two greatest commandments were. And the second was to love your neighbor as yourself. But then on the night before he was crucified, he said, a new commandment I give you. Don't love your neighbor as yourself. You love your neighbor as I have loved them. So on those three examples alone, do you think that it's within uh, Jesus's, uh, uh, you know, role as king of the universe to tell us how to live? You think that's fair? Y'all are scared because you don't want to say about your money, aren't you? You're like, "Oh Lord, maybe maybe Jesus shouldn't do that." See, the New Testament nowhere nowhere earmarks ten percent for God. It never says, you know, and and this is how you make God happy: give him ten percent. But what I want you to say is from, what I want you to understand rather is from Matthew to Revelation, the Lordship of Jesus Christ demands that we relinquish 100% of what we are and who we are. Drop the pen. Ping. God never ever earmarks as a command to New Testament believers, with one possible exception in the Gospels where he's actually talking to Pharisees, a, a New Testament tithe. But what he says over and over and over, Matthew to Revelation, is to give everything that you are, 100%, not 10, everything you are and everything you have into the hands of God. So you should not grab the book of Malachi and think that you obligate God to bless you just because you're tossing 10% at him. You hear me? Because by God's own accounting, you are 90% short. So what does this mean practically? Everyone's getting nervous. I can see y'all kind of clenching your wallets, getting your purses in real close. We're going to have a 100% offering today. Everybody, sign over your bank account. So... <laughs> That's the question. Does this mean that we empty our accounts every week we come to church because God demands 100%? Do we give it to church and various other charitable enterprises? Let me set your mind at ease. The answer to that question is no. And why? I'll go back to what I said. Because remember, God is not taxing us with his demands, but he is calling us to be stewards. He is entrusting us with his money to be a faithful manager of faithful steward god is calling you to manage what he puts in your hands not so you can turn right back around and just dump it all in an offering plate he wants you to manage it so it's also good management to work to take good care of your families to save for your futures to be responsible citizens all of that stuff is important if you're if you're tithing faithfully don't misunderstand me you're doing great keep it up but what I want to ask you is this. This is a hard question. Should a new covenant believer who sees the fulfillment of everything in Jesus be, be uh, less faithful in their giving than a faithful Old Testament Jew? Should we be less faithful than an Old Testament Jew? The question is not, are you giving your 10%? But the question is this, and let it burn in all of us. Does your giving reflect the way that you've been blessed? So here's the tough question. How are you managing and being a steward of God's money? Would your bank statements, if we just laid them out before the Lord, would your bank statements, your credit card statements, be a testimony of your faithfulness and your stewardship? Or would they be an an evidence indicting us of embezzling from God? That's the question. Because whose money is it? Come on, y'all can say it louder than that. Whose money is it? So that's first. Second. Once you realize you're managing for God, you have to place a high priority on his work. Now that doesn't, that definitely means the church, but it's especially the church where you're spiritually fed, but it can also be other faithful ministries and missions and hopefully all of the above that, it, that you get excited about anywhere where the Lord's work is being done and you're willing to as much as you have the ability to give to those things. How amazing is it? Now, now, this isn't a demand on you. Listen to me. How amazing is it that God, who we all would admit can do anything with no help from us, yet he has ordained that his work on earth would be accomplished when his people sacrificially invest their time and money in it. Think about that. God don't need you. But God has lovingly, because you're a son, you're a daughter in the kingdom, he has lovingly invited you to participate in his work. And this means that his work all around the world is fueled by love, it's fueled by sacrifice, it's fueled by faith for the outcome, and that results in God alone receiving glory for what is eventually accomplished. Where there's no faith or trust in God, people won't give. And the work of God won't be done. And He'll raise up another people to do the work, and He'll bring—they'll bring Him glory, and they'll reap the eternal benefits promised to faithful laborers. Where there's no faith, there's no giving, and the work of God suffers. Like, uh, uh, lastly, rather, I—I—I I, I, I want to tell you just as a final encouragement, because I know some of you are struggling to give. That's—that's—that's that's, that's okay. We're glad you're here. Some of you are struggling to give and some of you are actually maybe feeling some conviction from the Holy Spirit that it's time to get this part of your life, your Christian life, uh, aligned with the faith you you claim to have. So what I want to encourage you is this. Never wait to give until it makes sense. Don't wait to do that. Because can I tell you why? It ain't never going to make sense. Forgive my grammar. But it's never going to make sense. Never wait until you have enough money. Why? Because give and it shall be given to you. If you want to be blessed, be a blessing. Never wait until you feel faith to do it, until you have this real kind of, you know, uh, dramatic moment. Anyone who's ever become a generous giver begins by simple obedience. Did you hear me? You begin just by simple obedience. God has has called me to do this, and so I'm going to obey him in this. No one ever becomes a, a, a great giver because they saw parting clouds and lightning bolts and unicorns sliding down rainbows or anything like that. They become givers because they are willing to obey God, to trust him and put their faith in him. Sometimes we give with trembling Can I be real honest with you? Sometimes you'll say, hey, I think we need to give to this. And I'll say, are you sure? (laughs) Sometimes we give with trembling. But when we do it in faith, it always brings joy and blessing. God loves to show you that you can count on him. How many of you would love for God to show you that you can count on him? This doesn't mean... Just because you're giving, that you can be irresponsible in every other area and expect God's financial blessing. But if you'll start giving in faith, he will not forsake you. And lastly, I want to say, because of the the abuses everywhere by the the so-called prosperity gospel, that what I'm telling you this morning about watching God be faithful to you, this is not some spiritual get-rich-quick scheme. It's really important for you to hear me say that. Because sometimes for the most faithful of givers, God will allow you to experience some momentary lack so that you'll press into him and that you'll cling to faith more than your stuff. Because God is good. Paul talked about times like that in Philippians chapter 4. He said, I know how to be brought low. Anybody here ever been brought low, especially financially? I know how to abound. Anybody here ever abounded? I have. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what is that secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We abuse the heck out of that scripture. That scripture, I can do all things through Christ, Uh, who strengthens me is not about you winning football games. That scripture is about the unparalleled power of God in your need. If anybody wants to buy me a Christmas present, I saw a coffee mug on the internet the other day it says I can do all things through a scripture taken out of context. (laughs) So... But the promise that God, we can do all things comes to us on the tail end of a promise that God will be with us and He will provide for us when we're low, when we're high, when we're abounding, and when we're, when we're devastated. That God will be with us. What better promise can you have? So let's all stand. <clears throat> Sometimes I make a joke. Whenever we encourage giving, and you guys know who've been here, some of you are kind of new and so you may not, not have gotten this, but we don't talk about giving a lot. We would much rather focus on the, the, the larger points of the gospel. So this is not, if, if you're just starting to come here and you think this is kind of a, a, a money, you know, kind of message church, it's, it rarely is. But, I, but I'm not saying that because I take any shame in encouraging you because my goal, as I said at the beginning, is not to, you know, build up our coffers. Uh, I, I make this joke all the time, but it may help you to know to be more generous in your giving that I am not on commission, okay? I don't, I don't get a bonus if more money comes in. I, I, I make the same salary month in and month out. So my my encouragement to you is for your own Freedom. There's so many of you that have been here for so long and, you, and you've never been able to cross this bridge and come over to where you say, I am going to trust God and not let myself just squander in clutching and, and, and hoarding and, and, and miserly uh, living. I am going to, to, to empty my hands in worship and trust God and, and put him to the test as it says in Malachi and see if he won't open the windows of heaven to abundantly bless me. Because he already has through Christ. And so we actually, this was not planned. If you'll remember, I missed a week because uh, I was sick. And so this this week should have been last week. So this just kind of lined up this way. But today we're going to receive a missions offering. Um, we still need to raise about $1,900 for our missionaries, one of whom is here. Uh, Glenn Polk is standing back there. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, Twyla... Who run Ragtown and we support them as part of our missions. Uh, we also support um uh David Walt's parents, Scott and Leslie Walt in Austria. It's been a crazy year with them with COVID. We have Tony and Carrie Taylor down in Guatemala, uh, with uh with their ministry there, and they've had it abundantly just crazy. They actually, you know, uh barricaded their city. No one could get in or out because of the COVID. Um, they um we support uh uh, the uh, the ministry of, of SportQuest with Rance and Stacy Bland um, doing sports clinics for uh, young people all over the world and and using that as a way to be able to share the gospel with them and so there I say this all the time but there's nothing more important you can do with your money than to give it to missions and so what I want you to do is if everybody doll their heads and close their eyes I'm not trying to manipulate you so I want to be honest about my own intimidation about even saying this to you. But there are some of you who have never really trusted God with your resources. And there's others of you that have only trusted him intermittently. And there's some of you who have never considered the implications of that. And so I want to ask you this morning, whether you do it on the app or in the actual physical offering we're going to take, with a cash or check, I want to ask you to demonstrate repentance this morning on what we've talked about by giving to the Lord and giving in a way that requires you to give in faith. If you have $2,000 and you give five bucks, that requires no faith. I want to ask you to give in a way this morning. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm trying to see you freed but I want to encourage you to give this this morning in a way that sets you free from fear. And then I don't want you to just do this as a way to kind of meet some missions need. I want to ask you to ask God if you're living the life of generosity that reflects his generosity. And how that he can bring you into that and cause you to live in the freedom that he wants you to live in. The freedom where he says give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. And one last thing is the basis of the song Katie sang for us. That repentance in the New Testament... always carries this demonstration of generosity. I'm talking about financial generosity. The story that was referred to in that song was the story of Zacchaeus where Jesus called him by name, went to his house, ate with him. And and, and in that meeting, the salvation of Zacchaeus uh, 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 transpired. And his first response was, because he had been a a tax collector, he cheated people and he said, hey, I'm going to give half my wealth to the lord and I, or to you know to the poor and i'm going to if i've robbed anybody i'm going to pay them back uh more than i'd stole from them and so his his repentance was marked by generosity and the in the uh new testament in the book of acts when the church was founded the very first thing that people did the very first thing you can look this up in acts chapter 2 was they they took their resources their money their land their everything and they figured out how they could use it to bless other people Generosity follows repentance. And so I want to encourage you. I'm not trying to make this longer than it needs to be, but we're about to have it. In fact, I'll go ahead right now and ask the guys to come forward for this missions offering. And I'm going to pray. And I want you to ask God how you can be a blessing to these faithful people all over the world. And do it in a way, I'm encouraging you to do it in a way that stretches you, that pulls you a little bit out of your comfort zone. And so I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. And I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to ask the Lord what that looks like for you. Now I'm just going to ask you to just obey the Lord. Just obey him. So let's give him thanks, all right? Lord, we thank you that you are our portion. God, we thank you that you are everything. We thank you that Jesus is more than enough for us. Lord, we thank you that you are already... God, have poured out so many abundant blessings in our life, God, that we cannot even begin to thank you. So, Lord, we ask right now that you would uh, cause us to rise to faith, to believe. God, even if some of us are doing it with trembling and a not full understanding of, of how you work to provide for us, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, cause us to rise to faith and and release what you've put into uh, into our hands as managers, Lord God, so that we can see your name glorified, your kingdom expanded. God, I pray that you would just uh, provide uh, for all of our needs as you already have, Lord, and just continue to provide for our needs. Help us to be better managers, better stewards, Lord God. God, let us experience conviction about the things that we have, Lord God, as we uh, return to our idols, God, and let us let us once and for all commit to living in, as a as a living breathing reflection of your generosity towards us. God, we thank you for that. God, I thank you for all the blessings we're experiencing right now. God, whether we've been faithful or not, I thank you that you've you've blessed us. And Lord, I pray that we would we would just demonstrate by our generosity that we are the blessed. And I thank you for all of this. All right, if you would place your hands in a receiving position, I want to read a benediction over you, and it's such a great promise with this message. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit,